This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. We're here to help you find something great to read. Hello and welcome to our second episode of Books and Nachos. This week I'm looking at a new novel, Iron Man Femmes Fatales by Robert Greenberger. Iron Man is a character that's long been a fan favorite among comic book crowd, but mostly an unknown for the mainstream audience until 2008's Iron Man movie stormed box offices, taking the Golden Avenger to an elite A-list of superheroes such as Batman, Superman, and Spider-Man. Now building on the mainstream Iron Man character recognition, we have the latest in Marvel's series of novels based on their comic book superheroes. In Femme Fatales, we see Tony Stark, head of Stark Industries, a large company whose primary source of income is selling high-tech weapons to the military. Tony inherited the company at a very young age after his parents were killed in a car crash, though Tony's expertise were more in engineering than business. Many of the weapons sold by Stark Industries are of Tony's own designs. And as the novel begins, we're shown the creation of an international peacekeeping force called S.H.I.E.L.D., which stands for Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. And if that's not a mouthful and a stretch for an acronym, but it's not Greenberger's fault that Marvel gave the group such a stupid acronym. S.H.I.E.L.D. is not beholden to any one nation, and it was created to defend the globe from international terrorists. Wanting to have the latest in weaponry and technology, S.H.I.E.L.D. is one of Stark's industry's biggest customers. However, while S.H.I.E.L.D. is just getting started, the terrorist group HYDRA has begun its reign of terror with the hope of creating chaos and causing the United States government and economy to crumble. Hydra, led by the mysterious green-haired Madam Hydra, has launched raids on several technology companies, including Stark Industries and their competitor Stain International. Hydra's been stealing various pieces of equipment for an unknown purpose. Nick Fury, head of the still-fledgling S.H.I.E.L.D., calls on Iron Man to help investigate and stop the raids. But Madam Hydra's plan does not stop with raiding warehouses. To keep her foe, Iron Man, off his game, she goes undercover as the mysterious and beautiful Catalan, and she begins to date Tony Stark. Adding to the confusion is Madame Mask, head of the New York Magia, which is basically the Mafia with two Gs instead of one F. With the usual criminal activities being shut down by the law or taken over by New York's kingpin of crime, Madame Mask is ordered to find new avenues of income for her organization, and so she too begins stealing Stark Industries technology to sell on the black market. Iron Man finds himself unable to differentiate between the source of the thefts, and he and S.H.I.E.L.D. are on the defensive, trying to thwart Hydra's master plan while being unable to determine how the thefts are linked. Now, before I review this novel, I should state my bias. I'm a Marvel Comics guy. More than Batman, Superman, or even Spawn, Spider-Man and Hulk were my favorites as a child, and even into adulthood, though I never found Iron Man incredibly interesting. I did love the Robert Downey Jr. movie, though. As a Marvel fan, I've read a few of the previous Marvel novels, such as the Spider-Man Sinister Six novels by Adam Troy Castro and The Incredible Hulk What's Savage Beast by one of my favorite authors, Peter David. So I've been exposed to Marvel's universe in comic books, movies, video games, and novels. Now, the Marvel novels are unique in that they try to link as well as possible into Marvel continuity, but they aren't a part of that continuity. So if you're a comic fan, reading these novels has a real feeling of futility, as you know what you're reading doesn't quote-unquote happen in the primary universe, and the original characters and events in the novel are never going to be referenced again. 
at best, the novel doesn't matter, and at worst, it can create continuity headaches. But for no one, comic book fan or movie fan, are the Marvel tie-in novels required reading. And with the continuity, Greenberger takes liberties. He sets the story early on in Iron Man's career, thus wisely avoiding any of Iron Man's current roles in the Marvel Universe post-Civil War, and providing us with a version of the hero very similar to how we saw him in the movie. He's in the standard armor and has his flirtatious relationship with Pepper Potts, his executive assistant. But as this novel is in the comic book's continuity, not the movie's, that means this novel's occurring around the time of the comic books released in the 1960s. Now, this is a disconnect that's simply a part of comic books. Times change, the settings in the comic books change, but the characters don't really age. When I was a big comic book collector in the early 90s, I remember seeing a statement by someone at Marvel, I don't remember who, that their heroes simply age at a different rate than the world around them, and it's a necessary evil in order to keep the heroes people love and not make all the stories still set in the 60s, or make the characters in their 60s. So, to make the story feel more modern, Greenberger sets it in a seemingly turn-of-the-century New York. He even includes in the back of the novel a historical note, which states that the Marvel Universe is 8 to 10 years old, and subtracting those years from the year of publication, 2009, this sets the book around the year 2000. Now, I'm not sure if I agree with that reasoning, but there it is. Now, while I personally might enjoy seeing Tony Stark don his best crushed velvet suit to take his beehive hairdo and go-go boots-wearing love interest out for a groovy night, I'm probably in the minority on that, especially since the large target market of teenage readers may not even know what groovy means. More, even though in the 60s, Tony Stark was Iron Man's secret identity, in this novel, like in the current comics and the movies, the world is aware that Tony Stark is Iron Man. This is an inconsistency that may stick in the craw of the hardcore comic book fans, and most other people would never notice had Greenberger not called himself out on it in the historical notes section. But by setting the book in more modern times, veteran tie-in fiction author Robert Greenberger tries to make the book accessible for all fans of Iron Man. If you've only seen the Iron Man movie, you'll be able to jump right into this novel and not feel lost, and if you're a long-term fan of Shellhead, there are cameos and dropped references from throughout the Marvel Universe sure to delight. Additionally, and this is just my impression, but the Marvel Universe novels seem to take a slightly more realistic viewpoint of the Marvel Universe. While yes, we still have men in heavy iron suits flying through the sky, or giant green strong people impervious to bullets, the novels seem a bit more grounded in the real world. Perhaps this is intentional, trying to lure the audience who used to read comics but quit, or perhaps it's a side effect of the comic book art being replaced with prose. There are still magnificent battles, but they're more self-contained, and just seem to take physics and believability a little bit further. This trend really shows itself here in this Iron Man femme fatales. Despite the plot summary I gave earlier, this book is really about the relationship of its characters. While Hydra battles Iron Man on the field, Madam Hydra seduces Tony Stark to keep him distracted, and yet Tony is also distracted by an attractive new engineer at Stark Industries and dating a television news personality. While comic books may play these interpersonal relationships broad, maybe with a thought bubble or two to provide introspection, this book truly takes the time to examine these relationships from each character's point of view, showing us their motivations and their conflicting emotions. Special time is, of course, given to Tony, who is forced to wear his Iron Man chestplate at all times, lest bits of shrapnel go into his heart and kill him. 
This chest plate prevents Tony from having any stable relationships with women, and despite his superheroics, he always feels apart from others due to his disability. Stark subdues this self-loathing in the novel by drinking, which fans of the comic book know later becomes a problem for Stark and for Iron Man. It was good to see Greenberger include many references to Stark's overindulgence in alcohol, but not make this book about the dangers of drinking, letting the classic comics where Tony battles alcoholism stand on their own. The most explored relationship in the book is between Tony and Madame Hydra, a relationship which is consummated. Whether this creates a continuity problem for the book is for those far more familiar with Iron Man's history than I to evaluate. But other relationships in the book are also explored. Madame Hydra's relationship with her army is explored, with her agents becoming frustrated with Madame Hydra's secrecy regarding her plan. Madame Mask's relationship with her father, the head of the International Magia, and the omnipresent love triangle between Tony Stark, Pepper Potts, and Tony's driver, Happy Hogan. But while the focus of about half the novel is this type of character exploration, there is almost too much of it in this book. And when the novel ends, there are subplots left unresolved. This led me to believe perhaps Greenberger was setting up for a sequel novel, but per his website, there's another Iron Man novel due in 2010, but he's not involved. And the relationships that are resolved are often done unsatisfactorily. One big point of conflict is between Tony Stark and S.H.I.E.L.D. When the novel begins, Tony Stark is adamant that Stark Industries' warmongering ways are detrimental and that incomes other than arms manufacturing should be introduced to the revenue stream. However, S.H.I.E.L.D. is demanding better weapons faster, and Tony's hesitant, fearing the weapons would be used in ways he does not agree with. This sets a pacifistic tone to the novel that could be quite the statement. But as the novel continues, Greenberger goes entirely in the other direction, with Stark becoming convinced that, indeed, S.H.I.E.L.D. does need lots of high-powered guns to battle Hydra. So despite all his high-minded idealism, Stark caves and continues his warmongering, which negates the point of his original resistance. When the novel was finished, I was wondering why bother going into that at all if it wasn't going to have any ramifications or any exploration of the topic, really. It was simply, wow, Hydra does have big guns. Here, take more guns. But the relationships are only half of the novel, and the other half is action, with Iron Man battling Hydra, and Greenberger has a great talent for writing action scenes that are easy to visualize and pull me into the novel. But perhaps it's the one-dimensional nature of Hydra... But the battles became very redundant. Iron Man and Hydra just fight again and again. They fight in Texas. They fight in New Jersey. They fight at the docks. They fight at Manhattan. And every fight, Hydra's trying to steal technology and Iron Man's trying to stop them and perhaps capture some Hydra agents for questioning, but repeatedly failing to stop their plans and also repeatedly unable to figure out what the overall plot is. This endless battling of nameless enemies grew tiresome, and Greenberger even reused several moves, such as Iron Man flying through groups of enemies, bowling them over. These scenes, which began as exciting, ended as arduous. Greenberger attempts to ratchet up the danger late in the book by introducing the fact that Iron Man is running low on power, and if he runs out of power, the chest plate that keeps him alive will fail and possibly kill him. It was a wonderful device when used the first time, but by the end of the novel, I just grew tired of knowing exactly what percentage of power Tony had remaining in the armor. And also by the end of the novel, I lost count of exactly how many warehouse and dock raids Iron Man had failed to stop, and by that point, I just wanted the novel to be over. 
I do applaud Greenberger for making Iron Man's enemies in this book female and not armor-clad. While both are picked from Marvel Comics' backlog of characters, I was unfamiliar with both before this novel, and it's a nice change of pace for old Shellhead to have to battle wits rather than brawn. Though, when he does exchange fisticuffs with one woman, the fight isn't as one-sided as I would have thought it would be. But I'm confused as to why the two women Greenberger chose to use for this novel both had names that began with Madam. In reading the book, I felt sure this would have some payoff, some connection between the two characters. But not only did that not happen, the two characters never interacted in any way. Greenberger could have had Madam Mask stealing technology, which she sold to Madam Hydra. I think that would have really created a problem for Iron Man if the two joined forces and be double the trouble. But none of this happens. When the novel ends, it's a startling and unpleasant revelation that Madame Mask's inclusion was nothing but a subplot that's given way too much time and very little payoff. But I think Greenberger's biggest failing with this novel is the white elephant in the room. This book is set in the year 2000 and tells of international terrorists attacking New York City for the purpose of destabilizing our government and economy. This combination of time, place, and enemy is very combustible. While it's been eight years since the terrorist attacks at the World Trade Center, this is still a very hot and raw topic for Americans, but Greenberger decides to still go there anyway. And the climax of the novel is Iron Man stopping a terrorist attack near the island of Manhattan. And this could truly have been a powerful statement set at an important time in America's history. But inexplicably, Greenberger never explores the situation. I'm dumbfounded on how someone can write a book about terrorists attacking Manhattan at the turn of the century and completely fail to make the book about anything. It seems after taking the risk of setting the novels and themes, Greenberger chose to play it safe. Despite the novel setting being pre-9-11, there are references to dirty bombs and a viewpoint of terrorism that's clearly post-9-11. And yet there are no references at all to the World Trade Center, either standing or not. The terrorist attacks by Hydra all have casualties in the single digits, and the end result is that Hydra comes off more like G.I. Joe enemy Cobra than Al-Qaeda. It seems as if Greenberger couldn't decide between making an edgy statement about the effects of terrorism within our borders on American society and making a simple comic book romp, or perhaps the editorial staff of the novel had issue with it. But in the end, the promise, the wealth of storytelling opportunities this novel settings provide is unexplored and totally unfulfilling. It just would have been better had either the date been different, the location been different, or the enemy not been terrorists. But by putting all those three together and not exploring the ramifications, I felt cheated. And this is a shame. It's a real missed opportunity for Greenberger to have made a statement about superheroes existing in an age where America could have desperately used some. Instead, Greenberger just gives us Iron Man again fighting with low power in his suit and again fighting nameless Hydra enemies. So in the end, the novel Iron Man Femme Fatales is really more of a tin man with a lot of bluster on the outside, but really nothing else inside. While I started off very excited to read a self-contained Iron Man story without having to read about 600 issues of a comic book, I was left disappointed and wishing I hadn't spent the time. I think the hardcore fans of Iron Man will be let down, and the casual fans may not even finish the novel. So I'm sorry to say, I do not recommend this book. But thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. Given that it's October and we're coming up on Halloween, we're going to be back very soon with a couple of reviews of horror novels. 
First, Steve will be bringing us a review of Infected, a novel by Scott Siegler. And then I'll be back reviewing No Doors, No Windows, the new novel by horror author Joe Schreiber. So thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is copyright 2009 Venganza Media Incorporated. Thank you.